The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Bibles with me. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would. And when you find that, when you get there, I want you to I want you to mark that. Uh, we're not going to actually read right now from 1 Peter chapter 1, but this is where the text of my message will be. So find 1 Peter chapter 1 and put some marker in there. Uh, and then go to John chapter 21. And we're going to begin reading at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and I'll read verses 15 through 17. John chapter 21, let's look at verse 15 together. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you for this time we have together. And Lord, I, I ask that you would use my finite knowledge and, and, and my, my uh, weak and, leak and lean wisdom and help me tonight to, to, to give us something that we can use throughout this coming year uh, that we might serve thee more and love thee more. Thank you for this time. Now we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. We find here a situation where Jesus is asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And I think primarily that's because Peter denied the Lord three times, and the Lord wanted to bring this to Peter's mind. Uh, you see, tonight I'm, I'm entitling my message, Simon Says. Now most of us, if not all of us as children, played the game Simon Says, right? Everybody remember Simon Says? You know, Simon says, jump on one leg. Simon says, touch your nose uh, and all of that. You know, just a fun little game. However, that's not what my message is about tonight. We're not going to play Simon Says. In fact, my title is just a play on words. Uh, I consider for a moment uh, the subject of our lesson tonight, Simon Peter. At the very least, we could say that he is a very interesting character. To completely appreciate tonight's message, we must understand Peter's psyche. And this, and by his psyche, I'm referring to his individual temperament. Uh, everyone here tonight fits into at least one of four temperaments. Some of us possess characteristics from more than one. But we all have at least, at least some of the characteristics of these four temperaments. Let's run through them real quickly. If you notice on your study sheet, I have these listed out. The first temperament is the sanguine temperament. This is the happy-go-lucky guy. 
the happy-go-lucky attitude. Always, always upbeat, always excited, always, always ready to go and raring to go and all of this. We all know people like that, right? I have a lot of those temperaments myself. Now, this was Peter. Peter was a sanguine. He was, he was Mr. Charge in, let's go get him. He was, he was Mr. Excitement and excited. Uh, you know, when the storm was on the sea and Jesus came walking, he, he said, Jesus, let me, let me do that. Let me do that. And he, he walked on the water for a little while and then his, his real self came out and he sank like a rock. But he was a sanguine. Now, sanguines are, first of all, they're highly extroverted. Highly extroverted. They're loud and outgoing. These are the people at a party that you can hear above everyone else. And they're never, they're never shy. Uh, they'll walk in a, in a room filled with strangers and in five minutes they're telling jokes and everybody's gathered around them and everybody's laughing and having a great time. They're extremely extroverted. Uh, next, they're energetic. They're very energetic, always running at breakneck speed. Uh, listen, a sanguine temperament doesn't need Red Bull. He doesn't, he doesn't need Rockstar, he doesn't need coffee, he doesn't need any of that to get himself going. He, he, he jumps out of bed in the morning and he's running full speed for the rest of the day. He's emotionally motivated. If it's fun, he'll be there. If it's not, you won't, you won't see him around. They're emotionally motivated. They're, they're not interested in doing anything that's not emotionally charged and isn't fun. And that's your sanguine temperament. And that pretty much describes Peter uh, when, when Jesus found him. Next is the next temperament is a phlegmatic. Now the phlegmatic, phlegmatic is the matter-of-fact attitude. Always serious. You tell, you tell a joke around them and they're almost insulted. They're very serious-minded people. Uh, they're also somewhat shy and reserved. Uh, a lot of times, a phlegmatic will be in the room. You won't even know they're there. You'll look up and say, what'd you get here? Because that's just the way they are. They're, they're matter-of-fact people, but they're very reserved, very shy. And they're also very scholarly. They're very astute and love to read. Uh, phlegmatic people are... are or uh, a lot of times your, um, your, your computer geeks are, are phlegmatic people. They're very, very task-oriented, very, very, very technical. Uh, you know, they love to, they can, they can grab a programming book and read it and just get excited. And, you know, I read that and fall asleep before I get to the third line. Phlegmatics. Next group is your choleric. These are the can-do people. Cholerics. They're zealous and they're committed and enthusiastic they're highly organized. They will dot every I and cross every T. They're achievers. Uh, they stay on the job till it's done. And they are goal-oriented. Keeps his eye on the finish line. Now listen, a sanguine will drive a choleric insane. Uh, he will. A sanguine, a choleric will go crazy if you put him in one room with a sanguine and lock the two of them together. I'll tell you what, the choleric's going to die. He, he is going to die. No doubt about it. Uh, he, again, he's zealous. He's highly organized. He's an achiever. And he's goal-oriented. And then the, the last temperament is the melancholic. And this is the, this is a can't-be-done attitude. You know, you know who's, a, who's the best example of, of, of a melancholic? How many of you uh, like the Winnie the Pooh? Are you familiar with the Winnie the Pooh? Uh, Eeyore. Eeyore is Mr. Melancholic. He's somber. Melancholics are always gloomy, always depressed, always discouraged. Hey, how you doing? Oh, uh, you know, I'm getting by. I'm making it through. They're idealistic. 
They never face reality. Everything is, they deal in ideologies. That's why they're always so disappointed. Because they're always expecting the ideal and, and they're faced with reality. They're pessimistic. Again, they're the Eeyore type. Always think negative. They're the kind of people that see the glass as half empty. Never see it as half full. Uh, they have that can't be done attitude. Now, some of us here tonight may be purely of one temperament, while others are a mixture of different temperaments. And when considering what we know of Peter, we would, most of us would agree that he, prior to his denial of Christ, was purely of the sanguine temperament. However, it is apparent from his writings uh, later in his life uh, that Peter went through a change in his temperament after the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord. After this time, he had the confidence and energy of the sanguine, he had the scholarly intellect of the phlegmatic, and the zeal and determination of the choleric. The lessons that God taught Peter are recorded for us in Scripture. And this is the premise of my message tonight. Simon says, Simon does have some things to say to us, in the word of God. What does Simon have to say that is of benefit to us as believers tonight? Well, allow me to share some observations with you. Let's go back to, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And you follow along with me as I read. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, bearing much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. First tonight, I think Peter would like for us to, to know, he would say to us if he were here, live in hope. We are to live in hope. Now, the definition of the word hope is the general feeling that some desire will be fulfilled. Look again at verse 3 with me. Here he states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is so much that needs to be stated in this one verse. 
and, and where, do, where do we begin? Where do we begin breaking down these nine verses that I read just a moment ago where Peter describes to us the hope that we have in the, in the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the benefits of our salvation through our election? Where does one begin to describe these wonderful things? How can one uncover the depth of Peter's words in just a few sentences? Well, first thing I think we need to pay attention to is the word elect. We see that in verse 3. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elect, not because he foresaw, not because he simply knew that we would trust and believe, but because by virtue of his omniscience, I believed. Rather, because he ordained it by his sovereignty, that I would believe. And, and we need, if we will ever learn to live in hope, we first need to understand that God is sovereign and that he has chosen you and he has chosen me and he has called us unto salvation. Oh my goodness, that gives me so much hope. In the, in the, in the dark times in my life when I feel like things are just coming down around me and, 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 and I just don't know, I feel like I'm in despair and Suddenly, I think about my election and the fact that God chose me. And that gives me so much strength and so much hope. Uh, things such as sanctify, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. I'm sanctified. I, I'm, made, I'm made usable to God. I'm made useful to God. Not by my works, not by my efforts, not by my power, but by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Then he says we're redeemed. Look at it. Uh, it goes on. Uh, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of God shed on Calvary, every drop of which was shed for a particular redemption, not arbitrarily or with the presumption that someone might believe, might be redeemed, but rather with a specific purpose and a definite distribution before ordained and established before the foundation of the world. Yet these amazing truths that we've talked about already, election, sanctification, redemption, they would all be meaningless and without any merit were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without Jesus' resurrection, we would have no hope. He would, have, he would have been born of a virgin, sinless. He would have lived a sinless life. He would have died a sacrificial death. But he would still, if he was still in the grave, none of that would mean anything to you or me. It would only benefit him. But by his redemption, we have hope. There would be no hope for us today if Christ still laid in the tomb. There would be no election unto grace. There would be no sanctification unto holiness. There would be no redemption of the wages of sin. But you and I do have hope tonight. We have hope because Jesus is alive. We have hope because our Savior is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And he looks down upon us and he intercedes for us at the right hand of God. We have hope tonight. And it's high time that we as God's children live as children of hope. Now that means two things, I believe. One of them first is living with confidence. 
living with confidence. Second Timothy chapter one and verse 12, we read for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. For the last 33 years, my own flesh, my relatives, my friends um, have all worked constantly to cause me to doubt my faith in Christ. They have challenged me as to my hope. And these things work constantly in our life. You may sit here tonight and you may, you, may have, you may have things pretty well under control. But let me tell you something. You neglect reading your Bible for just a little while. You neglect your prayer life for just a little while. And your flesh will, we, will, 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 will climb in there and will call, begin to cause you to doubt and to lose hope and to become despondent of everything. Oh, no. We face this all the time. We have to learn to live with confidence. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I know that he's able to keep that which he's committed unto me against that day. Uh, as parents, you need, to, you need to live with confidence in your faith before your children. As grandparents, we need to do that. As, as, even if you don't have children, as a member of this church, the young people that are around you need to see your confidence and faith and, and your hope in Christ. They need that. And we need to live with that confidence. We need to get up every morning and, 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 and praise be the name of God. I'll live this day to your glory, Lord. I'll live it to your honor. I'll, I'll, I'll live it to, to witness for you. And, and I'll labor as unto you. And I'll do all things honest and good today. We need to learn to live with confidence. But then also... I think that it's time that we live live with reverence for our God. Live with reverence for God. I'm, I'm, a, I'm amazed when I hear people around me, and I'm not talking about here at church, but I'm talking about out in the world, when I hear people talking with such lack of reverence for God. I, I heard one guy today who stood there and... and, and and, and said, God says, and then said, God, God will say to us, and he uses a bunch of profanity. And I thought to myself, man, you just don't realize what you're doing right now. I tell you, I backed away from him a little bit because I thought maybe the ceiling was going to come in on him or something. I don't know. But we need to learn to have reverence for God. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord. Ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. We need to have reverence for God, and 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 in our in our private lives and in our in our public lives, we need to reverence God. Yes, Peter is living testimony tonight. That we have a hope and that our hope is steadfast and sure. He was able to overcome his weaknesses and failures and he was able to abound in God's mercy and power. He lived in the hope of his salvation and in the hope of the resurrection of his mortal body. Look again at, at, at chapter 1 verse 5. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness 
through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, he, he, his hope was in the salvation and the resurrection of his mortal body. So first tonight, Simon says, live in hope. But then, secondly tonight, Simon says, we are to live in holiness. We are to live in holiness. Look again at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's, let's look at verse 13. He states here, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Did you notice the phrase there in verse number 13? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, this phrase is a metaphor. Uh, from this, we can draw some logical conclusions. Now, this metaphor would have, would have been a phrase that those to whom Peter wrote this epistle would understand. What did he mean by gird up the loins of your mind? Well, in, 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 these, in these times, men wore togas. Uh, they, wore, they wore long dressing gowns. Uh, they did, it wasn't dresses. It was a different fashion of clothing than women. But they wore these, and these were not very, how can you say, these were not very conformative to labor, to working. The alternative was to take your clothes off, and you didn't want to do that. So men wore girdles. Now, they weren't girdles like women wear. They weren't made to hold things in. They were made to hold things up. And men wore these girdles, and what they would do is they would, they would take these girdles, and they would gather up their clothing, and they would gird themselves. They'd go around their legs and around their waist and tie these off, and what they would basically end up with was pants. They would, they would pull up their clothing into, in, 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 into a pant-type fashion, and then they were able to move around and do what they had to do in labor. So when Paul said, gird up your minds... These people understood what he's talking about. Oh, okay, uh, gather it in, gather in your mind, uh, uh, prepare yourself for labor and, and all these things. So this is illustrative of preparedness. Peter is admonishing us here to gather up our minds, to pull our thoughts together, so as to keep from hindering us in this life. Romans chapter 2 and verse 2 Paul writes, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you and I are going to live in holiness as Christ desires us to live in holiness, we are going to have to get control of all of our faculties and especially our minds. We are going to have to start thinking like a child of God. In other words, we are to live a life that is disciplined and dedicated unto holiness. 
And this is the theme that we see throughout the epistles written by Paul as well as Peter. We're to, we're to discipline ourselves in our thought life. We're to, we're to dedicate our, 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 our lives. Now listen, we all have to work. I understand that. And, and, but first of all, a Christian should always choose a profession that does not dishonor God. Uh, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be ashamed to say out loud I work for a casino. I wouldn't, I, I, I'm sorry. In any aspect. I don't care if, I don't care if you work in the accounting office. Uh, it's, when I was looking for a job, I had a lot of offers and opportunities to, to, to try to apply for jobs working for wineries. I won't work for a winery. I'm sorry. How can I possibly labor in my job in a manner to glorify God when, I, when I'm laboring for a company that does things that God says don't do? It's not possible. Not, and I don't want to get off on, I don't want to get off on that. But I, I mean, this is the mentality. We have to think like a child of God. No, I'm sorry. I won't take that job. We have to think. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul states, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What vocation have you been called to? Salvation. We've been called unto salvation. We've been called unto service to the Lord. So we're to walk as children of God. Worthy. With all lowliness, he says, and meekness, with long-suffering. Forbearing one another in love. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 he states. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Did you see what he said? That you might walk worthy of the Lord. Being fruitful in every good work. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. Paul states. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now, we are not novices here tonight. Uh, This Wednesday night crowd is made up of of our foundational people. It's made up of the people that, that we can depend on the most, the people that will do the labor and the work that needs to be done. We're not, we're not newborn Christians who have no knowledge in, in the word of God. We know that, is, that it is our duty as believers to live in such a manner that would bring glory to God and not a reproach. Yet, we also know how easily we forget this. And how quickly we are drawn away from this truth. It's so easy to forget these things, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever just suddenly come to yourself and said, what, 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 wait a minute, what am I doing? I've, I've done that. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I've, I've come to my senses at times and said, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I have, an, I have an obligation to walk worthy of the Father. I can't do these things. But we forget that, don't we? The old saying, out of sight, out of mind. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of turmoil, it's so easy to suddenly forget all about God 
and find yourself in, embroiled in a, in, a, in a battle in the, against the flesh or against something else, and, and, and not that you've totally forgotten about God, but your attention has been taken away from the main things. And this is where we have to strive to, 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 to walk in holiness, to live in holiness. Peter so quickly was so quickly and easily taken down by Satan, wasn't he? Wasn't he? And Peter, Peter stood next to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He touched Jesus. Yet Peter was so easily overcome by, by, by Satan. And do you think that you and I are, are, are going to fare out any better? If we don't be careful, we'll end up just where Peter did. Remember, remember how he boasted? In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And before the night was out, he denied the Lord and suffered shame and defeat. So what can we do? How can we gird up the loins of our mind? How can we think in ways that will cause us to live in God-likeness? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, think right. And let me add, if we want to think right, then we have to live right. And if we want to live right, then we need to walk right. Is it any wonder today that so many struggle in this area with the things concerning the mind, with all the things that we see all around us? The commercials on television? Huh? I like, I like watching sports, but... The commercials are, 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 are just becoming, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what to say. How are you going to keep a pure mind? How are you going to think on right and just things when you look at the television set and you see women who are scantily clad or you see, you see hordes of people indulging in alcohol and, and all these things? How are we... Is it any wonder so many people struggle with keeping their mind in the right place? Even the hamburger commercials. I mean, I just, I just don't know what to say about it. sports events, magazines, newspapers, the Internet, probably the worst place. The minds of our young people today are corrupted by everything they see and hear. And often they don't even see anything wrong with what they're looking at. Peter learned that right thinking produces right living. Now look again with me at 1 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 15 again. But he's, he says here, but as he which hath called you is holy. He's talking about God here. As he has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy because the Lord is holy. Now, Peter is not suggesting that you or I can attain to the level of God's holiness. Rather, he is implying that we are to live in the pursuit of growing in holiness. 
through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this side of this side of heaven and our and our our um, redeemed bodies will never live holy, perfectly holy. But we are to strive. We are to be growing through, as, as I said, through the imputed righteousness of Jesus and through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. We are to strive at every turn in our life to live holy, to make right decisions, to think right, and to live right. We walk in Christ's righteousness, and we persevere in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So Simon says, live in hope. And then Simon says, live in holiness. But then thirdly tonight, and lastly, I think Simon teaches us that we are to live in harmony. We are to live in harmony. Let's look again at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 22. We read here, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth Forever. Did you see what he said there in verse 22? Uh, unfeigned, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Now, while I cannot state with surety that Peter in his heart believed himself to be the chief of the disciples, his behavior often strongly suggested this. But now... Peter's writings clearly indicate his meekness and sincere love for his brethren. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, he writes, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Then in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he states, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And then in chapter 4, in verses 8 through 10, he writes, And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, in Peter's earlier times, before before crisis crucifixion and resurrection peter was he was kind of cocky wasn't he he was a little on the proud side and but now we we can see through his writings that peter has learned sincere meekness sincere humility and sincere love especially for the brethren i know that we have all heard multitudes of messages on loving the brethren in fact, Sunday morning, I kind of went off in a little tirade there uh, and, and didn't have that in my notes and didn't intend to do it. But the Holy Spirit, I think, had other, other thoughts in mind. But we've been told how this is evident of our belief in Christ. But I cannot help but believe that at this point and at this time, uh, it's so important to Peter because Peter understood the value of fellowship. You see, his fellowship was broken by his fall. 
But now he is back in the fellowship of the believers, and I'm sure that he wants us to know how important it is that we remain in harmony with one another. You remember what we read earlier in John? What did Jesus do? Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, lovest thou me? Peter, lovest thou me? You see, Peter understood the value of fellowship because his fellowship was broken. When he denied Christ, do you not think for a moment the other disciples didn't know about that? I'm sure they all did. And I'm sure that it caused them to be somewhat a little distant from Peter. He, he, he lost his, his close fellowship with his brothers and sisters. In Christ. He also lost his close fellowship with Christ. And Christ is he's restoring Peter to himself. But he's also restoring Peter because his, his, his brethren, the disciples, are sitting around. And they hear the Lord asking him this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Father, you know. You know I love you. You know I, I love you, Father. And his, his brethren observed his repentant heart. And his brethren observed his, his love for the Lord. And, and his fellowship with them and his fellowship with the Lord were restored all in the same moment. And Peter understood what it, was, what it meant to be on the outside, and now he's on the inside. Consider the admonition of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He states, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, now do, you, do you know who wrote that? Who wrote that? Who wrote, who wrote Philippians. Paul. What was Paul before he was converted? He was a Pharisee and he killed who? Believers. He killed Christians. But when he was redeemed by the blood of Christ, when Jesus stood on the road to Damascus and touched his heart, Paul changed. And his hatred was turned to what? Love and compassion. For who? For other believers. Look at the power of his words there. Uh, Fulfill you my joy. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Paul looked at, he called, what did he call himself? He called himself the chief of sinners. And he believed it. But do we? Do we really believe that of ourselves? Or do we have this, do we have this spirit that we sit in the pew and 
We look over at this one or that one and say, well, I'm better than that one. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. I'm, I'm closer to the Lord than, than him. Huh? I think sometimes maybe we do. Sometimes maybe we have that haughty spirit. Sometimes we maybe see another Christian do something they shouldn't do, and instead of having the compassion and love to go to them and talk to them about it in love and, and, and tenderness, we, we, we turn around and go talk about it to somebody else. And, and, and that's just not the way to do things. That's not the way the Lord wants us to be. Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than, than yourself. But, by the, but for the grace of God, such are we. So we need to be careful here. Now, if there was anything that plagued me in my associations with my fundamental Baptist brethren, it was this matter of mean-spirited Christianity. I've often had to ask the pastor to keep me in line in this because I was in that group for so long, sometimes I think maybe I still have that same, that same hindrance in my life. And I, I've often told pastor, pastor, if you see me, if, if you hear me or see me being out of line in this, please call me on the carpet. On it. Let, talk to me about it right away. Are you angry with another believer tonight? Do you harbor strife or contention, even if it is only in your heart? Are we guilty tonight of slander, criticism, or bitterness toward another child of God? You say, why are you talking about this so much when you preach? Because it's part of our lives. And it's something that we have to face up to and deal with. We have to confront it and, 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 and challenge it and overcome it. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Again, Paul, who, you, who at one time hated Christians and wanted to kill them all. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Some may say, but you don't understand what they did to me. No, maybe I don't understand what they did to you. But I do know what Christ expects of us. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, we read, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Remember the admonition we, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, which states, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, I'm not trying to say tonight that we at Berean have a, a problem with, with, with how we treat the brethren. I don't, I don't think we do. But I'm here to tell you, you better watch out. You better keep your guard up. You better pay attention 
to what Peter's trying to tell us. Because Peter, in a, in a blink of an eye, denied the Lord. It, it took him just that long. Just, just a simple moment or two. To go from pulling out his sword to defend him in the garden. To standing at the fire and denying that he ever even knew him. So we need to be careful. Because this is the one area, this is one of the main areas Satan attacks the church. It's through how the brethren treat each other. Because if Satan can can get into the church fabric and disrupt our harmony, he can disrupt our efforts to serve the Lord. And Peter is warning us, live in harmony, love the brethren. I suspect that Peter, after his meeting with Christ at the Sea of Tiberias, learned the importance of love for the brethren and living in harmony. But let us learn the lesson from him without having to go through the turmoils that he did in his life. Simon says, live in hope, live in holiness, and live in harmony. What does Peter's life say to you tonight? Let me close with this. One thing I see from Peter is Peter did not allow the failures of yesterday to keep him from the victories of today. And you and I must do the same. Do not allow the failures of yesterday to keep you from the victories of today. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.